Hello and welcome to Yagmoff Soap Opera, the classic-related podcast brought to you, the community. This is episode 64, and we're stacked with a stick. I'm Andy, and we're joined by the regular co-host of Zach, but we're also joined by our good buddy Montolio from Clan Magic Eternal. Hi guys, thank, thank you very much for having me on, and it's really a, a true pleasure to be here. <laughs> we Andy well, brought Mel Gibson along with him. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. Well, we've got a, another busy week here on the uh, on the soap opera. Um, the Classic League is in full flow, and the round two pairings have been played, and uh, the matches are in the book. Round three pairings are up, so we're going to have a look at um, what's been happening in the league. Uh, we've got a community spotlight back with can tripping, and we're going to have some good times with Mr. Montolio, asking about his uh, his entry into classic, and uh, we're also going to be talking a little bit about one of his favourite deck types, obviously workshops. So, um, without further ado, we'll jump in and have a look at the round two results. You may remember in episode sixty-three, Josh, Josh, Zach, and I. Um, had a little bit of a uh, amusing on what we thought would win each of these various rounds, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how we did and how these stack up. So first up, we had a mono black build of Tim Graham against Foil Tarmogoyf's owns you on Good Game Shoth, and it was taken down by the mono black deck. I guess the hand disruption there was the was the key to uh, knocking out the show and tell. Are you kidding me? Mono black. Won that? Oh, no, sorry. I've just totally messed up. No, no, it was one by <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, yeah, I, hands in the air. I messed up, guys. <laughs> foil, foil, time ago, songs, you won the game. So that was good. Yeah. That was, as expected. I don't want to say it's good, but it's kind of only fair. I, I think that was the mono black deck. We were all kind of like, wow. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The really techie one? Yeah, the four-mana enchantment techie one. Tim yeah. Graham wins a round. I think he should be automatically considered for a prize because he is, um, uh, God bless us all for joining, but severely outgunned in this tournament. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> um, next up, we had the guy whose name just flows off the tongue, Magic 20031014 with 4C <laughs> Snapcaster Control against our good buddy and heavily skilled player, the Wild Dog, running... What do you know? 4C Gush Delver. And, uh, yeah, um, the Wild Dog took this. We spoke a little bit last week. We mused about how how much quicker uh, the Gush engine is than the Snapcaster engine as far as, like, relying on for the centric, like, engine of your deck. And, you know, that coupled with the Wild Dog's uh, skill, I think that helped him to, uh, to get over the hump. What do you guys think about that? Agree. For sure. So next up, we've got the Rising Storm with Good Game Oath, and he was playing the Crisp One on Dredge, and the Crisp One took this down. Um, actually, usually uh, it's the Rising Storm that's playing Dredge, so it's... Uh, yeah, it's usually the Crispy One playing Oath. Yeah, so a little bit of a reversal of uh, roles there, but yeah, the Crisp One took that one down. Yeah, I think in that matchup, it's more like one of these things. Dredge is going to take game one, I think, like 90% of the time, like an inordinate amount of the time, just because Oath is sweet if you get like a turn one or turn two Oath, but even that sometimes just isn't enough. Um, Emrakul hitting for 15 and him getting six tokens in response is not as awesome as it would be in the normal case, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, but then, you know, games two and three always come down to how – how well the Oath player draws the, the hate for the matchup. And, uh, 
you know, it can't always be relied on, even with eight eight or more spots. So sometimes it just happens. Definitely. Yeah. Next up, we've got our uh, our guest Montolio, who was playing his Metal Worker Stacks build against uh, Care from the Free from the Real podcast, Games Master Thirty Two, who was on uh, Affinity, and uh, we guessed last week that that would be a pretty rough matchup for our buddy Montolio. So uh, looks like it was. Uh, you want to talk us through the match? Yeah, there's not a whole lot to say. I, I mean, uh, Stacks has a tough time with Affinity in general. Affinity is just uh, an extremely fast deck. It just vomits. It's uh, you know, it's hand onto the board usually in turn one and completely on the board by turn two. And, you know, that's pretty much how it went. Uh, you know, I lost uh, two games in a row. And, uh, yeah, it was just a, a really bad match for me. Uh, my logic going into that match was that I, my hope was to be able to get a chalice down on turn one chalice down on zero and one and uh, try and get a metal worker out and get some of my big guys down on the table, which were... Um, worm coil engines, uh, and, uh, precursor golems, Triskelions, that sort of thing onto the table, but it, it, just with the land disruption and his, uh, revokers, it never happened. So yeah, it was a pretty bad, pretty bad game for me, and, uh, yeah, Kaya took that one handily. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of tough when they're running, um, the cards that you're trying to hate against, you know, your cards that are making it cheap for you only to cast your artifacts and your creatures, and that's basically all their deck is, coupled with the fact that they're also running Workshop to negate all the advantage that Stacks usually gets. I mean, it's just a rough beat. It's, it's just a bad matchup, I think. I, I I don't know what else to say. It's not necessarily, you know, <laughs> a, a bad play or anything else. It's just just a rough out. I mean, it's like the one deck that's really just suited to perfectly beat your strategy. Yeah, absolutely. I think in competitive play, out of probably the 10 times or so that I've actually faced up against Affinity playing stacks, uh, different stacks builds, I've never beat it once. Yeah, it's just bad. Well, next up we have uh, Gaines Banding, who's 4C Delver, against 1 Million Words, who's also 4C Delver, and uh, same colors, it looks like. It looks like it was a mirror match, and I, and I think Gaines Banding just has a slight edge as far as, uh, you know, Knowledge of the format, I don't see one million words in here a lot, and he's 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 a pretty tight player, so I I, I haven't didn't see the match, I have no idea what actually happened, but that would be my assumption going in. Is he's a, he's he just knows the deck pretty well. Um, any thoughts here, guys? No, I I agree. All right. Yeah, I, I guess it just comes down to who can land uh, land turn one Delver and flip it for the win, eh? Yeah, that's like for me. I mean, I. Uh, I'll talk about it a little later if we have time, but I was, I was thinking about a new deck, and, and I was uh, I was really worried just because, for me, I'm like one of those guys who always gets the fluctuation that my Delver waits to flip. Like, I'll always have lands or artifacts on top, and it just it bugs me because I never have, like, the brainstorm in hand. And in theory, it should be good. I get my turn one, yeah. you know, snap uh, uh, Delver down, and, yeah, it stays a 1-1 for a while. I watched this match. I did some commentation on it between games banning and one million words, and these were carbon copy decks, and it was it, it was a real chess match. They it, it was basically somebody just trying to resolve a creature and keep it on the board. You know, they they both have full complements of lightning bolts in their deck, and you know they were trying to get down dark confidence and get their delvers down, and it was kind of uh, a lot of trading. It yeah. was uh, it was a it was a good match, but uh, gains banning I think uh, um, has a little bit more experience with the deck. 
So next up, we've got Call One Me One Dragon with, once again, Four Color Delver versus uh, one of our clanmates, Whiffy Penguin, who is on Dredge. And Call Me Dragon took this one down. Uh, it's, uh, this uh, was my first round opponent, Call Me One Dragon. He's got uh, he's got a pretty good little deck there. So, Yeah, not good for the Penguin there. Um, I'm not sure... Uh... What hate uh, Call One Me One Dragon was playing, um, but obviously it was uh, was enough to get the job done against uh, against a solid dredge player. Yeah, yeah, he's got uh, he's got three ravenous traps and four graft diggers cage, so he's got a pretty good complement of hate there. Not only that, he's got some stuff like Stifle in the main, which actually can be just devastating. It's a time walk against a bazaar. So um, true, true. Yeah, I mean, bad, bad beat for Whiffy. I, I think normally, you know, he'd have a good, good matchup against this guy. I wonder if it was two-one. I didn't really see that, but um, definitely uh, just a rough beat. Good, good game by Call Me Dragon, and uh, looks like he took it down. For sure. So, um, who we got next, Andy? Uh, next up is our uh, Clanmate Magic Eternal versus Clanmate Magic Eternal in Calaveras Merfolk versus Cat Weasels. Good game, Gristle Shof. <laughs> And it was the, the Blue Merfolk that got the job done um, with their island walking ability. Didn't see the match, but um, yeah, props to Calavera. I think that puts him uh, puts him 2-0 and at this stage. And I, I'm pretty sure I heard from him earlier in the week that he won his round three pairing as well. Um, yeah, so he's he looking, looking really good for Calavera on his, uh, his techie Merfolk list there. I, I kind of thought that the explosiveness of uh, Cat Weasel's build might have... Uh, might have been enough to to beat the merfolk, but when you're island walking and you've got those uh, those days and the, the force of wills, there's a lot more counter magic, I guess, in the merfolk shell than there is in the in the good game Shoth build. Yeah, I mean, being a blue deck is just pretty pretty rough beat to go against merfolk. I think um, Calavera really knows merfolk well. You know, he plays it a lot. So even against somebody like Catweasel, who's who's good with oath, it, it's kind of rough just because she has to have a blue land down. I would say at least 95% of the games. I mean, you're looking at either grabbing Underground Sea or Tropical first, and, and that just puts you at a distinct disadvantage. Not to mention Merfolk is also running stuff like uh, Wasteland for the... Uh, um, Orchard. Uh, Orchard, exactly. And uh, it, it's just, it, it can be a, it, just a rough match. So, good game to Calavera. I, I think that's a quality opponent and a good win. Yeah, I actually, in round three, I just saw this matchup the other day. The It was Merfolk versus Oath, and uh, the Oath actually did take it down, but it was extremely close. You know, it, there's there's not much Merfolk can do if you get down a turn one or turn two Oath of Druids. You're not going to beat it. If you can if you can fight it through and get it on the board, you're going to win that game as the Oath player. But, uh, of course, Merfolk has just a, a, a pretty solid suite of counter magic to keep it off the table, so... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure that's necessarily true. I think Calavera could fight a resolved oath. Um, he's got things like Gilded Drake there, depending on what gets flipped. Well, sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's difficult though. I mean, as the uh, as the Merfolk player, I think if you're playing against a resolved oath, it's hard. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, so next up, we have Uncle at Four Color Delver versus Enderfall. One of our clan mates playing four color Snapcaster, and it looks like Uncle took this one down. Yeah, it's a, just another example. We talked about this matchup a minute ago. I mean, Delver is just a a turn faster if the flip is pretty, you know, reliable. 
It's just a turn faster than the uh, Snapcaster builds. And once that Delver flips, Snapcaster is not as good. Having two power doesn't really matter when the guy's hitting you for three through the air. <laughs> yeah. Um, next up we have uh, Pitlord, who's Dredge, against Blue Diamonds, who's uh, Black Blue Shonestorm. And uh, although Shonestorm's one of the techier decks, and there's not like a lot of decks excuse me, exactly like that, I think Dredge is just, you know, one of those linear decks that just, like, plays by itself. It doesn't matter what you do. I don't even necessarily think it matters what deck you're playing against Dredge. Dredge can just outright beat you sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it can. Yeah, he, he's actually got uh, a decent suite. Of, uh, he's got a, a couple of Yisla Jailers and four Ley Lines, as well as some Echoing Truce. So Blue Diamonds has cheated a little bit on his hate, but... Not terrible. Yeah, I mean, he does have a lot. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I'd probably pick Dredge in that matchup nine times out of ten, to be honest. Uh, I know I wouldn't be Me right, too. and I don't think that percentage is right, but it's just how I'd pick. Yeah. Uh, Dredge is the one archetype that I cannot stand losing to. I can handle <laughs> losing to any other deck other than Dredge because Dredge is so easy to hate out. I, I never I never skim on my Dredge hate. That's an, always... inter- that's an interesting thought. I don't know. Like, I think I'm just such a. I don't want to use the word turd, but it's kind of like how I feel. I think I'm just such a turd. I hate losing to any deck. So Dredge is up there, though. It's up there in the in the linear. Like anybody, like, and I know this isn't true, but it's what I tell myself. It's like anybody can put it together. Anybody can play it. And anybody can hate it out. It's not a deck that I want to lose to or play. I don't mind losing to it when I'm not prepared, but I really hate losing to it when I've got like seven pieces of uh, sideboard hate and a couple of main deck pieces against it. Because I feel like I've prepared for it, I expect it, and I have the tools to beat it, and then just variance blows me out and I lose the game. That's that's when it really hurts. Yeah, I remember when the winter celebration uh, was on the championship. I, I went into that championship with nine pieces of hate against Dredge. Still didn't beat it. I was uh, oh, I was so perturbed. <laughs> Nine pieces of eight. That's ridiculous. Uh, but my normal is I, I always run eight pieces. Sorry. Right now, my see sometimes the hate's just not enough, and you get done in by the zombies that they manage to create before you get the hate on the table. Now I'm going to say too, the one thing about dredge is, and you'll hear me say this a lot, it's ninety or eighty or whatever percent I say game one, and what. What I always forget, but it, it's it's pertinent in big situations, like I will specifically cite Season 2 Finals against Stuart Olk. Sometimes Dredge just fizzles. Game 1, that dude had to mulligan down to one card and still didn't hit that bizarre. So, I remember that well. I mean, it happens. And then, you know, Game 2, I hit my I hit my hate, and I, I just got to uh, counter his, his hate destruction. And sometimes Dredge can fizzle. I mean, it's not necessarily mm. anything on the player or anything else. It's... Uh, it has a chance. Look, when, let, me, let me put it this way. You're relying on seven pieces of hate. He's relying on four cards. Yeah, he might have the uh, serum powders or whatever, but it's really four cards. If he doesn't hit one of those, the deck's not that good. Uh, I don't know if I agree with you, Zach. I, I think Dredge is very good. If, I think it, that, Wait, wait. If, I'm not saying Dredge isn't very good. I'm saying if it doesn't hit Bizarre, it's not very good. Oh, well, it's just terrible. And that's what I mean. He has four cards, and we're talking about seven or eight hate cards. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think a lot of the time the, the Dredge match comes down to game three when Dredge is on the play, having maybe lost game two from the hate. They know totally. what to bring it. Game, game three, they know what to bring in to um, counter your own hate that they've seen in game two. Um, and yeah, sometimes you, you get variants where the Dredge deck can just fizzle or needs to mulligan to four or five, and it, it opens the door and gives you a window, but you've got to have the right Dredge hate to be able to uh, to combat the turn one bizarre activation. Yeah, well, Dredge has taken it, uh, has, has changed over the last six, eight months since, uh, Cage came out. You know, they've got, they call it Cage Breaker Dredge, right? You know, you look at Pit Lord's deck as a prime example of that. This, this gentleman is actually running for main deck, Nature's Claim. I mean, these guys are, their decks are built around removing that ley line of the void and the cage. That's what their decks are about post board. So it's very difficult to beat it. To me, that just says one thing. Really, really says one thing. That is mental misstep now is even more important than it was before. Because Uh if you look at his hate, he's running stuff. Dark Blast for Yixlid, Chain of Vapor, Cabal Therapy, uh, Nature's Claim. I mean, that's all like targets that are even... I mean, the card is so good. I always say my favorite hand against Dredge, games two (laughs) and three, is never Force of Will. It's always mental misstep and the hate. That's what I love. Even if I get no land, I would consider keeping that. Yeah, yeah. This, this, I, I actually, ironically, Pit Lord was my opponent in round three, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, he, yeah, he has mental missteps on his sideboard. I was going to say I thought I had played against some mental missteps, which is, um, which is pretty good tech out of a a, a Drudge player, I think. I think it's good tech, but I also think, you know, the point of dredge usually is to empty your hand into your graveyard. And I think, you know, even nature's claims become somewhat of a hard, you know, it's hard to know what to keep in games two and three. Because if you get a nature's claim, if you get whatever those one mana spells are and you don't have a bazaar, you have the same problem. Yep. You hit on, uh, you hit the nail right on the head there, Zach. That's very similar situation to what actually happened in our match you just don't know what to hold yeah. because if you if you hold the hate and you don't have the uh the gas it's uh you know like you don't have a bazaar and you hold a hand with um you know, undiscovered paradise and a couple nature's claims that's not going to do it agree well um next up we have slug 360 rocking 4c delver who took down our good buddy and clan mate mooncon um don't know really how he won that match outside of getting good lightning bolts and snapcaster action. Um, it would seem that Merfolk would have the advantage there. I mean, it's always possible he got screw. He just drew a lot of bad cards in a row. But if you asked me at the beginning of this match who would take it down, I would definitely have picked Merfolk. But, yeah, it looks like Slugsley's 360 took it. Yeah, interesting. Actually, I... Sorry, sorry, sorry Ann. I, I was just actually going to comment. I've been seeing this uh, gentleman around for a while now, Slug360, and I've played him on several occasions, um, uh, particularly in Ham and Ryan. He's he's quite a solid player. He's uh, you know, He knows what he's doing. He's uh, relatively new to Classic, but very solid player. That's good stuff. Yeah, he's been in and around the client for many years. I remember him from the... Uh... The Singleton 60 days, so he's been around a long time. Uh, next up is my match against Cronin, which we went into in quite depth last time out, so I'll probably skip over it. But um, 
Cronin, Cronin won that with his Delver match, and uh, we had the video in the article last week as well. Um, so we'll move on, and uh, it's Alberto Dalv versus Cownos. And this was a mm-hmm. classic Delver versus Snapcaster control, and uh, Delver took that one down. So, yeah, Cownos Let- decks uh, quite a big, big man version of uh, Snapcaster control. Yeah. Yep. Next up, we've got Mr. Abstract himself, Zach, playing Snapcaster Control versus XTHO13 on Metalworker Stacks. And, Zach, you took that one down. Yeah. Any thoughts we, on it? Yeah, we talked about it last week, but I'll say, you know, he, he, he's a good guy, and, and we played some. I, I think, um, you know, that was where I first tried out my Thalia on Stacks hate plan, and it actually was kind of funny. It, it worked out pretty well between Thalia and Vendelian Click. He won game two, but I got one and three, and it was uh, it was a good game. Sweet. Next up, we have uh, Chris Cool, and he played against Fishy Fellow. And looking at the names, you'd think maybe the decks would be reversed, but they are not. Chris Cool was playing Green White Hate, and Mr. Fishy Fellow was rocking Shoth, a personal favorite of mine. And it looks like the Green White Hate took it. That's actually kind of a hard matchup when you take into consideration the Caracases and and the uh basically all the spells that just, you know, lock it down. Stuff like Pride that. Mage. Pride Mage, Pride. exactly. Yeah. Thalia's not a friendly guy. Leonine Arbiter can do some work. Um it's you know, it it can be tough. Yep, yep, yep. Uh next up the Maniac also on Green White Hate, uh, versus Enric, who is playing Delva. And the Delva took that one down. Yeah, Enric's a pretty good player. Definitely. So, and next we have Mr. Cran Tripping, who is on Tendril Storm versus Philip J. Fry on Belcher. Gotta tell you, this was perhaps my favorite match that I've seen so far out of this tournament. A very interesting matchup. Which is faster, do you think? Tendrils or Belcher? Oh, Belcher for sure. I played I played Philip, uh, Philip J. Fry's Belcher deck in the tournament practice room, and he was just pulling off some really sick turn one wins. The one thing I worry about with Belcher, and the reason I say it might not be faster, because half the time they are faster, and, and they can rock it and rock down a, a, a cannon and just win. The other half of the time they rely on tokens, and I don't think tokens is going to do it against Tendril Storm. So, you know, giving them two turns or however many, you know, think about it. There's no way they're casting 10 spells in one turn and, and rocking 20 tokens. It's usually going to be like 10 to 14 tokens, right? They empty their hand. Bam! Splat on the table. Dude has two turns. They're all, you know, they all have summoning sickness, and then the next turn, they can attack, and then they still don't kill you. So I would think it would be kind of a fifty-fifty matchup because if Tendrils goes off, it wins. Um, Whoever wins die roll on this is is quite big. Yeah, yeah, that that that, that's a, that I agree with. But that regardless, Belcher took it down. Congrats, Philip J. Fry. Definitely. Next up, we got y'all's favorite matchup, Stax versus Affinity. And guess which one took it? Affinity. Uh, yep, NCSU31SB um, took down Backguds, who was rocking Stax. And uh, we know he's a good player. So, I mean, just like Montolio rocking Stax, it's just more proof. It's just a bad matchup. Uh, can't yes. keep up with all those little guys. Yeah, back uh, back is actually back is actually playing a, an espresso stacks build, so he doesn't have a whole lot of creatures in his deck, uh, which makes it perhaps even a worse matchup for him because he can't stop that early onslaught. It's it's completely a control build. So I I, I 
that's just a terrible match for him. Yeah. Next up, we have uh, Digi Digi eighty four rocking blue white stone forge against Scorpio rocking Shoth. And uh, no offense, Digi, I love you, but I'm happy to say Shoth took that one down. Um, as you all know, I love the deck and I love Scorpio. He's a good guy, so nice to see him winning in these events. And uh, looks like he's he's doing pretty well so far. Yeah. And uh, next up was Naoto with his Wilder Strix deck versus. Uh, Planet Walls, the innovator of the Classic League, I think, with his Birthing Pod Shops deck. And uh, Birthing Pod Shops took it down. Yep. Naoto's put an article up on the Pure MTGO, so if you want to check out how that match went down, uh, recommended reading there. Definitely. Yeah, I was actually talking to Planet Walls last night on the on the engine a little bit about his deck, and he, he said he's uh, really been enjoying playing Classic. He's just... Uh, you know, saying how broken the format is, and there's so much room to innovate. And uh, yeah, for for all you guys that are listening to the podcast and thinking about joining Classic, talk to Mr. Planet Walls about how fun it is. <laughs> Great point. <laughs> Sounds good. And then then we've got Tim Tim Irwin with his High Tide Brew, and he managed to uh, to take this one down against Dark Times. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, this is this is the one we talked about last week. That's really funny because it's two tier 1.5 archetypes going at it. So. Uh, Interestingly enough, it looks like the high tide beat out the uh, the deck that's looking to cheat in 2020 flyers that are indestructible. Um, yeah, I, I thought I might go the other way, just with the dark me too. Types, um, me just too. hand disruption and. Uh, I mean, yeah. you can actually get out a you know a turn three. Uh, it typically, I, with high tide, I mean, it takes probably turn four to five to be able to go off in the earliest, whereas dark times can can kill you on turn three. Yep. Yeah. And the last match of the round uh, saw Yuvatha uh, avenge all of the uh, the losses uh, to Affinity by by smashing Affinity in with Noble Fish. Let me look at what Yuvatha had because if I remember correctly, he was rocking. Oh, oh he's yeah. got everything in the bag against this dude. Oh, he's got yeah. the uh, he's got the meddling mage, the Kasali Pride mages, the Thalias, the three main deck Trigon predators. How about uh, Porcelain Legionnaire? That is yeah, great. I, uh, sweet deck, sweet deck. Yeah, I don't know how Affinity stacks up and, and beats a 3-1 first striker. I like playing Thalia enough. He's rocking four of those, but man, that plus the Porcelain Legionnaire is a tough out. you got to get that <laughs> stupid little token dude going overdrive. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So that's, uh, that's round two uh, completed, and the round three pairings are up. Some of those games will have been played by the time this podcast goes live. Um, I'm not in round three, having uh, having dropped on two and zero. Oh. But rather than go through all of the round three pairings, um, perhaps we should just zoom in on uh, on on Zach and uh, Andy's uh, matchups, and then we can talk about the results of these in the podcast next week. So, uh, Zach, you uh, you were playing Snapcaster Control build with. Uh, with your good favorite uh, Geister and Traft and everything else as silver bullets, and you're up against this uh, this uh, affinity build that's been uh, doing really well so far against the shot based decks. Yeah, I mean, coming in, I definitely, I don't want to say I didn't like my chances, but I definitely thought it was an unfavorable matchup. Um, NCSU 31SB is a, a competent player; he's been around for a long time, and uh, I knew my best hope was just to play it, you know as tight as I could and give myself any outs I, I could get. And game one, he just crushed me. I mean, I don't remember what it was, but I just didn't have hope. I was, of course, game one, you know, you're just like hoping to do one of two things. And that's uh, 
Vault Key or Tinker for a Blightsteel, and that's kind of like your only outs. Jace isn't good. Uh, Geist of St. Treft isn't good. You know, a lot of those cards are uh, meh. And uh, I don't know. I, I you, you can see I think the video will be down below, but I was really, really proud of this match. I took down games two and three. And, um, yeah, I think I just played it really tight, and I think the only real big mistake of the match was when uh, he was attacking with the Ravager. You'll see it game three. Uh, he did not sacrifice it. He let it kill my Dark Confidant, which might have taken me lower. And, uh, yeah, I I, uh, I got really lucky, and I, I took it out, and uh, it was it was a fun match. Good stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, this is one of the feature matches that uh, Zach or Josh and I recorded. Uh, for those of you who have not seen it, definitely check it out. It was a really great game. Well done, Zach. Thanks, buddy. Let's, let's talk about your uh, round three. What's going on? Yeah, uh, as I alluded to earlier, I actually drew Pitlord on Dredge round three. And yeah, it uh, it was a really good match. Round one, I actually had the nuts. It was uh, in game one, I had the nuts, but as good as a hand as you could actually have. I had a turn one lodestone golem. And yeah, long story short, it was not enough. He just uh, basically got into his rhythm after turn two and I was dead. I couldn't beat him down fast enough. So moved on to game two and... Uh, I ended up um, actually had three really good games uh, with uh, awesome openers. I got on a ley line and on turn one and a cage. Turn one and actually got a chalice down on one on turn two. So he was basically locked out of that game. Wow, that's uh, rough. I don't know how you beat that. <laughs> yeah, his deck is actually, he's got a... As I alluded to earlier, he actually has quite a bit of hate in his deck. He's got um, three Chain of Vapors. He has four main deck, uh, um, my apologies, I'm drawing up Nature's Claim. But all of those are one casting cost cards, and that is all of his hate outside of one Ingot Chewer in his deck, so he couldn't remove anything. Uh, I, w I wasn't worried about the one uh, Ingot Chewer on my Ley Line, because, of course, that's not going to kill my... Uh, my ley line. That's only going to kill a cage. So uh, I was able to roll the victory from there. Game two and game three was perhaps the best hand out of them all. I had um, a turn one ley line, and uh, I was able to resolve a trinosphere against him with uh, two wastelands in hand as well for his bazaar. So long story short, I ended up shutting him out. Uh, there was nothing he could do against me that uh, game three and. It went about 15 turns before I could draw a creature to win it, but uh, yeah, I was able to, to pull out a win against Dredge, and currently sitting at 2-1. Nice, bro. Very well done. That's not the easiest matchup coming in, so good good, good news. Thank you. Yep. Okay, so next up in the podcast, we'd like to take a bit of time to, uh, to chat things over with Montolio, understand a little bit about his, uh, his love for Classic, how he got involved, uh, his affiliation with Clan Magic Eternal, and since he is uh, a renowned shops player in the classic community, um thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about that particular archetype. Um, it's diversified quite considerably recently with um, kind of some recent card printing, so it would be good to see uh, where we're at um, and the, the sort of latest card printings I'm talking about new to Magic Online, so Tanglewire and Richard and Port, um, but also there's things like Trading Post as well. And so over to you, Andy, if you want to tell us a little bit about how you see see classic uh, shop builds and uh, everything else about your your involvement and fun on online yeah uh, thanks Andy I basically I've been into, I, 
as long as I've been online, I've been playing classic uh, ever since it, uh, its inception. Um, my love for the game was always uh, I wanted to play with the most powerful cards, so I was attracted to classic for that. And uh, yeah, I um, I mean, what else is there? You can't play standard after you've played classic. So uh, not long after playing. Uh, um, competitively, I found my love for shops, and uh, originally I started out with uh, you know uh, a white-based uh, Armageddon type shop deck, and uh, you know I used to kick it pretty good with that. And then Workshop was released, uh, Mistress Workshop, and that's when I got into the Brown Metis fully, and I've been playing it ever since. So, um, you know, right now I am rocking. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, right now I'm rocking um, Metalworker Mud. That's my favorite deck right now, and it's absolutely awesome. Uh, I've been playing uh, with a couple, a little bit of new tech. I've got a couple Staff and Nins in there, which have been pretty good for me. Uh, one of the things that has always been a deterrent for me with stacks is the the lack of card draw, which of course is uh, mostly uh, blues forte. And staff of Nin has been very good in that capacity for me. Uh, whenever I'm able to land one, I usually win the game. And uh, of course, it's got the added perk of being able to deal one damage. So I'm playing it off uh, unflipped delvers and dark confidence and grim lava mancers or. Uh, you know, one of the many uh, one one uh, one toughness type creatures in the format. So, uh, old tokens I've used it for. So yeah, that's uh, that's a mouthful for you, but that's kind of where I'm at and what I'm playing right now. So, do you are, are you just like in love with sacks? If you could play any deck and all the time, is that the number one deck in your opinion? Uh, yeah, Zach, that's, uh, we all have our niche decks that we love playing. I, I have all decks on, uh, that are classic related and, uh, I've played them all and, and I do dapple, you know, from time to time and other archetypes, but yeah, stacks is definitely my, my true love. Um, it's the deck I'm most comfortable with and, uh, yeah, I don't foresee that changing. So were, did you play classic at all before workshop was online? Oh goodness, yeah. Oh, yeah, for years. And before yeah. that, what was your favorite deck? Uh, you know, I, I, that's changed over the years, right? As sets were released and new cards came out, but uh, you know, outside of stacks, I, I would have to say my favorite deck was probably Oath of Druids, mm -hmm. which is a close second for me still to this day. I really like that, and uh, I'm also have enjoyed fish style decks. So not not quite, not quite sure of the order there, because I can't quite recall how the sets were released, but yeah. So what would you say about like the way you got into Classic? Did you play a lot of like, did you start in the tournament practice room? Were you playing casually and then you like, you you got going? Oh and... no. Yeah, oh no. Yeah, I was a, a very casual player for many, many years. I've been around on Moto since its inception. I, I played in the beta. Cool. And uh, yeah, I got into playing casual magic for the, the large majority of my uh, my classic career. And you know, uh, as years went by, I kind of met some uh, some more prominent members in the classic community that got me, uh, you know, to, to have the confidence to play in the tournament practice room. And that's kind of where it all started for me. Uh, you know, with competitive magic, it gave me the confidence to you know realize that 
I can compete on a, a higher level with people. And um, that's kind of led into my, uh, my um, competitive class of career. Definitely, and that's been proven. You're you're definitely one of the guys who's always moneying and doing well. So uh, it's it's cool to see, you know, kind of like the uh, the genesis that is Montolio, the man, the myth, the legend. He's uh, <laughs> he's rocking out stacks, beating faces, and just like you guys, he was playing in casual room years ago, not really too determined to just you know be at the top of the game. He figured out he could uh, he could beat almost anybody, and bam, look at him now, you know. So which I appreciate which, that. Which variant of stacks do you do you typically prefer to play the uh, the prison based uh, versions or the more aggro versions the the cat stacks fever builds the espresso stacks or the metal worker builds? Well, I like them all, but uh, I would say probably uh, right now, as I uh, I said earlier, I'm actually into metal worker mud right now, which is uh, probably a combination of uh, right in the middle of uh, the you know the the smokestack builds and the aggro builds. It's kind of mid range. Uh, I'm enjoying that over the last couple months, but I, predominantly uh, since I've been playing stacks, I've actually been into Cat Stacks Fever. Uh, haven't played it in a couple months, but that was my my love before the Metalworker Mud. Right now, very good deck. So when you look at like uh, one of the, the the classic leagues, and you've got these three different variants which attack different parts of the meta game, and uh, really have different angles of, of, of playing the game, although they get their power from, from Misha's Workshop. How, how do you determine, based on how you feel the meta game's going, or how you're currently feeling about the the environment or your deck choice, uh, how do you pick out which variant you're going to play? Uh, well, Andy, it's not so much... I, I try and actually uh, use, you know, bring a new tech into my decks versus, you know, which type of stacks build I'm going to use. Like, right now, I, uh, I'm on the Metalworker Mud, uh, I will bring that into pretty much any meta, but I will try and tune my deck specifically for the meta game. So, uh, you know, the staff and in, uh, part of the reason I brought those in outside of the card draw was my, my hope that it would be able to battle affinity a little bit better because it's one of my, my deck's true vulnerabilities. Um, you know, little things like that I'll try and tinker with. Um, so that, that's kind of my approach to, to attacking the meta game. And, cool. uh, yeah, and uh, I also wanted to make a comment. You know, uh, Stacks has kind of been on the back burner uh, for quite some time in Classic, and, uh, uh, you know, there's been a lot of uh, talk about, you know, Tangle Wire not making a big impact on Stacks. Uh, for those of you who are, who are not familiar with Tangle Wire, this is a card that comes into place, recasting cost, and taps down four permanents, and a fading counter comes off each turn. This card is excellent. Um, a lot of people aren't playing it in their Stacks build. This card has won me so many games, it's not even funny. It's, uh, it, it just shuts uh, decks down when it hits the table. So you've got uh, four angle wires and you've got three metamorphs in, in your deck. Very, very good for getting your damage, tapping down stuff and getting your damage through that way. Uh, my understanding is that tangle wire is in pretty much every stacks build now. Yeah, but we're not seeing a whole lot of stacks right now. Yeah, I mean you have to have it in every single, yeah. Yeah, every yeah. single type of your build. Um, I've 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 recently been getting into playing the deck archetype, having for a long, long period of time uh, hated it for no good reason other than maybe being on the wrong end of some bad beats from the deck. Um, but since playing it, I begin to appreciate just how uh, how fluid that main deck can be, and how many different variants and different angles, and 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 how much sort of spec there is to 
to tech the builds out and to, to tune them towards the metagame and um been enjoying that it's been good fun um it's quite a different way of playing magic trying to prevent people doing busted stuff rather than working out how you can pull off a busted win yourself and um, so that, yeah it's been a real eye-opener but it's been good fun I was going to say, Andy, it means that you've come and you've joined the dark side. You're not going to uh, be playing a blue base deck any longer. You're going to be on the uh, the brown menace. <laughs> I hope not, yeah, because absolutely. that scares me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what's your view on sort of some of the fringe cards in the uh, in the archetype? For example, things like Ratchet Bomb or Triskelion. Or... Uh, I I like Triskelion. I right now in my the current iteration I run and of my uh, my metalworker mud, I have one main deck Triskelion. I believe I actually have two on my sideboard. Uh, mm. I like the card a lot. Uh, it came at the expense of Worm Coils, which at face value looks like a really bad trade, but with the amount of uh, things like Affinity running around and, and Fish, Triskelion has been very, very good for me. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's the ability to... Uh... To hit Dark Confidant and to hit Delver makes that a really good main deck call right now. Uh, one of the best ways to beat shops, I guess, is to play play Bob, play Dark Confidant, and try and uh, gain card advantage to ensure that you get your land drops each turn to play around the sphere effects. So if you can get a, a Triskelion down and, and blow that Dark Confidant out of the sky, then uh, you're in, 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 in with a good run winning the game, I would have thought. Yeah, no, I always cringe when I see a turn one or turn two at Dark Confidant against me on the other side of the board. Oh. Mm. But um, yeah, as far as you know, other cards right now, I I'm not a big fan of Ratchet Bomb. I kind of toiled with it a little bit uh, when it first came out, but uh, I, I'm just unable to find a slot in my deck for it right now. And things like Trading Post has some potential. Uh, I, I'm still thinking about this card right now. Uh, you know, it, it, it could actually be very good. Um. But other than that, yeah, not uh, not too much more really on the outlier. Yeah. Staffing staffing in is the the newest one that I'm toying with, which has been excellent. Yeah, and I guess some of the other cards which are pretty ubiquitous now to most shop decks are things like the Metamorphs and the Revokers, which have only recently joined uh, joined the card pool uh, recently within uh, New Phyrexia and uh, Meridian Besieged. So. Yeah, within the last sort of uh, eighteen months, I guess we've had uh, powerful additions to this deck archetype, and with the with the printing of Macadia Mask, obviously bringing Tangle Wire, and the deck's got an awful lot more more tools. Um, what's your view on the kind of uh, the Smokestack builds at the moment and how they can compete? Well, uh, Smokestack is a, is a really good deck. Actually, one of our clanmates, Backguts, is running a Smokestack build, uh, Espresso Stacks, right now, and uh, uh, he's doing pretty well with it. Um, you know, it's a. Uh, it, I think it's a good deck. How it competes up against the rest of the field, I'm not sure. Uh, it's not my. F- it's probably my least favorite out of the the type of stacks build. It's just a, a pure control deck. It's got very few creatures in it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's looks like it's doing pretty good right now. One thing that really sort of interests me between all of these variants is the the tug between the land destruction and the sphere effects. And you see some of the builds are running a, a strip mine, four wastelines, and four ghost quarters with three main deck crucible of worlds. Um, yeah. And then you see, you know, to try and really attack that mana base, 
And then you see others which are just running the wastelands and the strip mines with maybe one crucible, but they've managed to increase the number of spheres in the format. Um, it seems that maybe Thorn of Amethyst is also moving out of the deck. Not out of my deck, Andy. You really like Thorn. I do like Thorn. Thorn is one of the cards that I shaved to get in one of my staff bins. I lowered it down to three, but I mean, you know, when you look at our metagame right now, it's typically a blue-based metagame for the most part, and most of these decks are are very high spell density. Like, even your Delver builds, I mean, there's a reason Delvers are in there, because there's a lot of spells to turn those Delvers. So I've always found that, you know, Thorn is very good in that capacity. You know, it's a, God forbid you see a turn one Delver. That's very hard for a stocks player to beat. But if you don't, you're just getting ahead. I mean, um, I still think Thorn Amethyst has a place in the deck. And, uh, you know, I run them in all my builds, minimum of three. Mm. You're not not running, Mandy? Not not in the build I've got at the moment. Um, I've only recently got into into shops and... um... Playing a playing a variant which has got four main deck buried ruin um, with uh, the high um, land disruption package um, and that currently not running uh, not running the thorn of amethyst. Um, I am still to invest in a lot of the shops cards. Um, for example, I don't own metal workers at the moment. Um, and another card that I haven't picked up and a little bit kind of reluctant to pick up at its price tag is is uh, is port uh, sort of fifty tickets and. Ideally, needing two or three. Um, it's that my price tag really swaying me. It's weird. I've in the past had no problems paying 120 plus tickets for some like Force of Will. Um, mm-hmm. Had no real problems playing 40, 40 plus tickets for for Jason Mind Sculptor. But um, I don't know. It doesn't really sit with me. You're paying 40, 45, 50 tickets for a, a single port that's going to be quite narrow in the deck. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 really unfortunate that uh, you know it was such a limited run for the mass block. Rashidun ports are extremely expensive, and uh, you know it's not played in too many archetypes. So I, I hear you. It's hard to justify buying them. But I will tell you uh, that I that I actually am running uh, three ports in my current build, and um, it, you know that came at the expense of a couple ghost quarters and one mistress factory, and. Very skeptical about how they were going to be in my deck, and I, I have to tell you, I've been pleasantly surprised about how good that card is. It has been very good for me. Uh, I like Rashid and Port a bit. So what are the sort of uh, key plays with something like Port in the deck? Well, you know, Andy, a typical situation would be you've got, uh, let's say, two or three spheres on the table. Okay, and you're kind of uh, in that tug of you're in that tug of war with your opponent over mana base. Okay, and so your your opponent's starting to stabilize. What that does is it allows you to tap down their land, which is basically the same effect as having another sphere on the table. I mean, it's not going to stop an instant nature's claim. I mean, because they can still tap down their land in response. But typically, it's very good when an opponent is struggling for land to get up above your spheres. It gives you that little bit more reach to control the game, and then take advantage with your own creature base. So, it's been good. I, I, I was having a, a, a discussion with Mooncon actually last night about Rashid and Port and Stacks, and uh, he kind of was a little bit more on the skeptical side, but uh, my experience with the card has been excellent, and it's won me multiple games. 
Have you ever uh, used it to repeatedly target um, City of Brass in the uh, in the dredge deck and and, and and cause them some pain? Yeah, funny you say that. The other day in the tournament practice room, I was having a whole bunch of fun returning someone's uh, undiscovered paradise to their hand. <laughs> nice. And returning who was who was trying to get up over my spheres. So it was uh, yeah, it's a good card, but uh, truly, it's a. Uh, it's one of these cards that is a barrier to classic right now. It's um, it's extremely expensive for you know the the amount of decks that actually run it. So hopefully that'll be one that's uh, reprinted at some point, maybe in MED five. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks for going through all that with us, man. We really appreciate it. It's nice to get the uh, stacks perspective from a stacks dude. So uh, you know, I'm so biased and. In the past, George and Josh, I don't see uh, playing a lot of stacks, so it's cool. You know, now that Andy's playing it, to get you know a seasoned veteran in here to get some uh, insight on it. Yeah, definitely, that's been really helpful, and uh, will probably uh, you know inform some of my decisions going forward as I get to learn the deck and how it interacts in the format. Well, it's my pleasure, guys. It's um, uh, I'm trying to convert you all to the Brown Menace, you in particular, Zach. Yeah. I know you're in denial. <laughs> have, you, have you ever played a game with Stank, Zach? Not once. I've never even put a workshop on the table. Ah, uh, you see? Maybe that's what you need to do. No way. No way. You can't get me away from blue, baby. I'm going to go down with it. <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, next up in the podcast, we've got the, the community spotlight. Um, and uh got Cantripping. I don't know if you want to talk us through this one, Andy. Oh, sure. I would love to, guys. Uh, the only problem is, is I don't have the screen up here anymore. No That's okay. No worries. I'll, I'll, I'll go through this one. So in the spotlight this time is, uh, is Cantripping, uh, from the Lotus Farmers. And his real name is, uh, is Ryan. Um, he's from London, Ontario in Canada. And we asked the question, as we do of everyone in the spotlight is, uh, how did you become interested in classic in the first place? And his answer was a sort of fairly, uh, fairly simple one, but a fairly intriguing one. It was, uh, it was demonic tutor was his answer. And then he paused for a bit and his response was, I played casual for a long time before I knew, um, certain cards existed. Once I saw a few of the powerful classic decks and plays, I was immediately hooked. So it sounds like you, Andy, that he was, uh, he was just drawn to the power level of the format and, uh, some of the powerful, unique, iconic cards that are available to us, uh, in the classic format, so cool. Yeah. It seems to be a way that draws a lot of people in. You know, it's funny because uh, I've known Ryan for a long, long time, and we actually were friends uh, long before we got into competitive classic, and we used to play casual, and uh, we've kind of grown through uh, uh, our classic careers together. So, uh, yeah, very good player. Yeah, and the next question in the in the spotlight is... Uh, if you could play any deck uh, in the format, uh, what would it be? And uh, he kind of jokingly replies that you uh, you might not know this, but his uh, his favorite deck is uh, is Storm Combo. And uh, anyone who's really played um, competitively against Cantripping will know that he's a huge fan of uh, the Lion Eye Diamonds uh, Infernal Tutor um, Storm builds. Um, in the league, he's running a, a similar deck list, um, which also makes room for the Vault Key combo and the Tinkering to Bly Steel. But um, one of the primary wins there is to try and build up a, a critical storm mass with Yagmoth's Will and Tendrils of Agony and uh, win by uh, by a, a storm pumped up Tendrils for the for the 20 points of damage that's maybe required. 
Um, so not too many people are, are that keen on uh, keen on the Storm combo builds, mostly because of uh, the Brown Menace. Um, I guess Andy, you're uh, pretty happy when you see someone uh, sitting down next to you with a with a Storm combo build. Well, normally, Andy, I would sit there and I would say. I would love to play cantripping uh, because I've got my stacks built right in front of me. But this guy is a crafty little fellow because he has a transformational sideboard that he turns into an Oath of Druids deck. He, he runs main deck uh, uh, Forbidden Orchards, and he brings an Oath of Druids, and that makes it extremely difficult to play against him because you're, you're not quite sure what angle you should be taking against him when you're playing in uh, game two against him. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, typically I like to play against Storm. But I don't like transformational sideboards that turn into the druid decks. True, because true. I've played them several times in the uh, daily events and whatnot, and you know it's uh, it's it's difficult. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Anyway, the final question in the spotlight is: uh, What's your favorite MTGO accomplishment, whether it relates to tournament play, deck innovation, or community involvement? And his his answer is very much in community involvement. He says that. Um, his his favourite accomplishment is his clan, uh, the Lotus Farmers, and it's a hands down win for that. He says they're such an awesome group of guys, and even though they haven't been around, for, some of them haven't been around for a while. Um, so he's really focusing on, um, you know, being the clan captain there of uh, the 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 second best uh, classic classic <laughs> clan on on Modo. Um, you know, one day I mean he might he might be able to rival our our heights. But uh, yeah, props to you, Cam Trapping. <laughs> Thanks for taking the test and being in the spotlight and uh, giving us an insight into uh, into Lotus Farmers. Um, and then we've got the feature matches, uh, which have been uh, been recorded by uh, by Cronin with some audio uh, input from Andy as well. Um, recommend you check those out. There's uh, four of them this time, so plenty of hours of uh, entertainment there as well. Uh, all of these videos are available on the Clan Magic Eternal uh, YouTube channel. So if you want to check these out or any of the earlier rounds, uh, hook up the uh, hook up the um, the YouTube page for that. Definitely, definitely, definitely. So uh, good show this week, guys. Absolutely, yeah, it's been good fun. Um, but as ever, we should thank our sponsors, MTGOTraders.com, and our hosts, PureMTGO.com, and uh, thank Andy for joining us and giving us a great insight into the variants of uh, of stacks and. Uh, We'll uh, hopefully have Cronin back with us next week, and we'll see you in seven, guys. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on, guys. Real pre- pleasure. Definitely, bud. Enjoyed having you, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Later. Oh, you know what? Before we go, I will not be here next week. So, uh, Andy and uh, Josh, and maybe Andy, if you want to come back, you guys can uh, can go on without me. But I'll be here in two weeks. So. Uh, yeah. No worries. No worries. We'll find a way to record and hopefully keep the show on the road. All right, guys. See you in seven and 14. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, guys.